Good job, guys. I see we're one short today. Yep. Where's he at? Um, I think he's Punta, Punta, <laughs> Punta Condo. What was it Punta Condo? He's in Dominican Republic. What's he doing down there? I don't know. Sitting on a beach, I think. Drug deal? <laughs> he's really in the Dominican Republic? Yeah. Donnie is. Well, I'll tell you what, I bet he blends in with the culture. <laughs> He's got a big t-shirt that says, Panama Jack. <laughs> okay. Now, so far in Proverbs chapter 22, we, we have gleaned some great principles. We've only been in it for a couple of three verses, but boy, we've seen some great principles for life. Last week, um, we looked at where it says there, a prudent man foreseeth evil. Uh, probably one of the greatest statements and certainly one of the greatest verses in all the Bible on showing us what collecting Bible principles will do for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it shows how that the, when the devil, the world, and the flesh, uh, they cannot penetrate into your world when you hide behind the principles. The principles in the Word of God were given to us for just that purpose. Principles will always be the foundation of the Christian life after you get saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you lay a foundation, no other man is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then you build upon that foundation gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are the principles, the building blocks of life. And each one will then interconnect with the other one to build uh, a strong Christian life and a strong Christian walk, a defense wall that you can hide behind. You know, in the Bible, I, you have what I call the high tower concept. And uh, I, I've taught it, I use it, I, I, I teach it to people. You know, uh, it's defined in Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 4, as the Tower of David. We know that David had a great relationship with God and the Word of God, probably <clears throat> greater than any other man in the Bible in the Old Testament anyhow. Uh, over there in Psalms 18, it's called a high tower. Over in Psalm 61, I think it's 35, it's called a strong tower. And the, the illustration is that with the principles of the Word of God, we build ourselves in a tower that is higher above all the things on planet Earth. In other words, when we talk about living above the circumstances, when we talk about living above the issues of life and, and being bigger than this and bigger than that and, and not letting things get to us or affect us, we are talking about the high tower concept. We are talking about a tower that you have, by the principles of the Word of God, built into your life that elevates you uh, to that third dimensional, uh, fourth dimensional uh, viewpoint of everything in life. It, it really, the, the tower concept does two things for you. And you need to understand the concept because it's all based on the principles that we've been looking at. Number one, it gets you up higher than the people around you so nobody can really get to you. It puts you above every issue of life. A high tower, people can look down at you and scream at you, and yell, but they can't ever get to you. And that's what principles do. Principles allow you to, uh, to live above the circumstances of life. There's a lot of things in life that are going to come your way. A lot of problems are going to come your way. The idea of a problem-free Christian life is just not true. You're going to have a lot of issues that come your way. A lot of times it's going to be connected with people, if not most of the time. The way you deal with it and overcome it is a high-tower concept. Then the second thing that it does, 
you're elevated so high. And the good thing about this tower, the more you add the principles, the higher it gets. It's an ever-expanding upward tower. It doesn't get to a point where it's 30 feet or 40 feet or 100 feet and stops. The more you keep putting the principles in, you, uh, you, you, the higher you get. You know, for a long time, everybody thought the earth was flat. And, uh, you know, they, the couple of the early scientists, uh, you know, Copernicus and those guys, they, they, they figured it out that it was round. They were severely persecuted for it, but they, they figured it out. But man, you know, it wasn't until man got out in outer space. It wasn't until he got up 600 miles high, 800 miles high, that you could actually look out the spacecraft window and see the curvature of the earth. You know, I want to tell you something, spiritually speaking, when you build your tower that high, you'll see and understand everything that happens on earth. You'll see it as it really is. That's the key. You know, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, it talks about the whole armor of God. Then it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Faith in the principles of the Word of God will build you a tall, a tall tower, a high tower, a strong tower, a tower of David based on the Word of God that will keep everything from ever getting to you and allow you to see everything that's out there. And you hide behind those principles uh, by the faith that you have in them. We just finished deer season, or I guess maybe it's still on this week, I don't know, but you find it when most guys that get their deer, I, I don't. I mean, there are some guys who just, you know, luck into it when they're walking through the woods. But that's really not how you hunt deer. Uh, they, they get into a deer stand, and uh, most uh, guys that uh, are just sitting on the ground under a tree. I mean, a dumb deer may walk along and want to commit suicide. And you may get that one, but it, you're not going to. You're not going to be able to see them coming your way. The higher you get the more dimension you see, and you can see them coming from all angles, and that's, that's the best way to do it. You know, Christianity is the same way. Most of God's people are one-dimensional. They're sitting under the tree in the ground, and they never see what's coming their way. They never understand because they never have the perspective uh, to, to see what's coming their way because they're elevated above the circumstances of life. That happens through the principles. And the Bible said last week, a prudent man foreseeth evil. He sees it coming because he's built his tower where he can understand it. We use an illustration in life. We use it all the time. Uh, we want somebody to do right. You know, we all drive our cars, and on the road, <coughs> you have the white markers on the side and the, and the yellow marker in the middle. <coughs> and we are supposed to stay within those lines when you drive. So we use the phrase, you know, uh, I wanna, we want to stay, we want to, in this situation, we want to stay between the white lines. In other words, you don't want to get off the road that you're on. And that's exactly what Bible principles do. The road of Christianity is very narrow, <clears throat> but it's lined on both sides. And what principles do is keep you between those white lines. And you, you want to find them, you want to keep them, you want to do them, you want to obey them, you want to catalog them, and you want to hide behind them. And they will build that strong tower. Now today, we're going to look at a couple of more verses. And as always, we'll uh, find some great principles uh, to live our lives by. Uh, we, uh, you know, we hear a lot about aliens. Uh, when, when the movie Aliens come out, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, I don't know how many it was, but it, <clears throat> everything that comes out in a science fiction is about life from outer space that comes down and invades this planet. I remember back in the 50s, 
uh, just a little guy. I remember what my mom taking me. My mom was big on on movies, she, science fiction movies, and I seen them all. Creature from the Black Lagoon, Creature from the Black Lagoon Two. I mean, everything. She would go to them. I remember one time her and my dad got in a fight, really a knockdown drag out, and my dad took her glasses and broke them. And he was setting out. She was setting out, and it was the day we were supposed to go to the movies. And you know, I was just a little guy. I didn't know any better, so I. I took, I had two little magnifying glasses and I taped them together and I took them out to my mom hoping that they would suffice as glasses so we could go to the, we didn't get to go to the movies that day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we hear a lot about aliens and back then, the, my favorite mainly was the invasion of the body snatchers. How many ever saw that movie? Okay. <clears throat> Let me give you a run by of that movie then. You're going to love that. Anyway, this foreign force from outer space came down, and people just like you and me, they'd go to sleep at night, and they'd wake up, and these people, these aliens, would possess their bodies, and they were going to take over the whole earth. Hence, it's called the invasion of the body snatchers. They were snatching people's bodies by the aliens coming inside them while they slept. And uh, it's a great movie. They made a remake of it. Remake's never as good as the original. But you know what? I thought a lot about that because the <clears throat> Bible says in, in Exodus chapter 18, verse 3, that, that Israel in the Old Testament, Israel in the Old Testament was an alien in a strange land. We hear so much about aliens invading planet Earth and coming down and wanting to take over the Earth. We forget that as Christians, we are aliens in this world. If you're saved here this morning, you have been taken over by a power from outer space that is indwelling your body and wants to take over planet Earth, i.e. the Holy Spirit of God. And just as Israel was alienated from the things in the Old Testament, you and I need to be alienated from the things that are around us in the world because we have been taken over. The day you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God took up residency in your side, your body. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away, and now all things become new. And we are aliens today in a strange land, and we are alienated from this old earth. Now, today, <clears throat> let's look at our next set of verses. <clears throat> but before I do that, <clears throat> let me pause 30 seconds for a paid advertisement here. Next week, we're going to move into verse 6. Verse 6 is the greatest fundamental, foundational verse in the Bible on training up children. And as I told you, we have in our church, we have young couples that uh, uh, have just had babies. They're, they're, they're having them all the time. Uh, we've had young singles who are going to get married. You're going to have children. We have, we have all of, of the young kids that when we started our church were just little kids. Now they're teenagers and they're facing some real challenges in their life and I think it's time as we just naturally come through this that we camp on this verse so be prepared for the next six seven eight weeks that we just look at verse six and take it apart and look at all the different angles of uh, that great verse that says train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it we're going to look at that we're going to understand that it's right in the scheme of things we're going to take the time to do it So today we're in verse 4 and 5, and here's what it says. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that doeth keep his his soul shall be far 
from them. Scott Heaton, where are you at? I know you're in here someplace today. Would you stand up and ask God blessing all your family down here from, from Lincoln and all the other kids who are down here from Lincoln with Carolyn and all them. Good to have you. Cast the blessing on the service this morning. I got invited to a debate, debate one time years ago <clears throat> at a college, and they wanted me to come and represent the Bible side of things, and I was up against a psychologist who it was a woman, and uh, no offense, I mean, she, she was just a woman, I just wanted to know that, and she was, a <clears throat> she was a psychologist, and she was taking the other viewpoint, <clears throat> and I like that about colleges because I think that's good, it was a good healthy exchange, and uh, we had a good time. But whenever I get in a situation like that, or I'm going to say something that, that is going to bump up against a natural thing, I always like to state my position. And in and, and doing so, I, you know, they got, we got to introduce ourselves. And I they introduced me who I was, and I got to say what I was going to say first. And I told him, I said, look, I said, I just want you to know I'm really happy to be here today, and I'm looking forward to a, a good exchange. But I want you to understand something, so there's no misunderstanding. I approach everything from the Bible. I'm a pastor. To me, the Word of God is the, is the only uh, true truth on planet Earth. I said, I want you to know that my viewpoint is going to be based on the Bible. I want you to know that my viewpoint and whatever I say is going to come from the Word of God because that's everything I believe. I believe that everything in life and every issue that life has goes back to the Word of God. So I just wanted you to know before we get started today, my answers are going to come from the book that has changed my life, and that will change your life. Place applauded. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Now, she's really under the gun. And I think I said in there, unlike my opponent over here, I'm coming from the Word of God. Well, now she's on. And she got up and she said, oh, I, I want you to know, I, I, I believe the Word of God, too. And I thought, yeah, here we go. <clears throat> and we had a great time and a great talk. But I want to tell you that this morning because... What I'm going to have to say to you this morning is going to go against the grain of the world viewpoint of life. And I want you to know this morning that I approach everything from the Bible. I know that there's people out there that uh, when they hear what I'm about to say today and we go through this today, uh, they're not going to agree with it. I, that's okay. I, I don't have any problem with people disagree. You do not have to believe one thing that I say. You know what's only really important to me? That I believe it. You're on your own. I'll give it to you, but you can do with it what you want. And here again, this proverb, proverb will, these proverbs will go directly against the thinking and the mindset of the world, and unfortunately, also Christianity today. Uh, <clears throat> here are, are found the three aspects of life that all the world thinks is the key to being successful and being happy. And you know, that's really what people want today. That's really all they want. We live in a world that's upside down. We live in a world that's problems. And fundamentally, people just want to be happy. They want to be satisfied with life. <clears throat> they don't want to go through the traumatic problems that they have in life. They, I don't think anybody ever they got themselves into a real mess, ever stopped and thought, I want to get into a real mess today. Here's how I'm going to do it. Those things happen for a reason. But I don't think anybody ever starts out that way. 
And here are found three aspects of life that all the world thinks is the key to a successful life and being happy. And there are three things. The first one he says here, the first one is riches. That'll be wealth. The second one is honor. That's who, how you're looked at. That's how you're perceived. And, and most of the time that comes from wisdom. So we'll, we'll put that in the wisdom category. And then the third thing he says is life. That's health, good health, living a long life. Now these, these are the goals of every unsaved man and woman in life. And unfortunately, many times also for saved people. These three areas will be used as the key to a good and happy life. Having a lot of money. You know, winning the lottery. How many times when you see on that TV, we've all done it. The lottery is up to $650 million. Well, who wouldn't like to win that? And, you know, we get the idea. We daydream and we think about, well, if I won the lottery or this or that, or if I had some great uncle that I didn't know and died and left me all this money, I just, I would be happy. I'd be rich, so I'd be happy. The second thing is to be respected and honored because uh, of what you know uh, or that fact that you're famous or you're somebody very important. The third thing is to have a long life to enjoy it all. That's what people want. Now, from a Bible standpoint, and again, I'm coming to you from the Bible. From a Bible standpoint, I, I got it. You got your viewpoint, I get it. You're on your road to prosperity. God bless you. Don't forget the tie belongs to the Lord. But anyway, <laughs> from a Bible standpoint, these three will be uh, within the world system the three most disappointing and disastrous aspects of life. They really will. When the Bible talks about a man getting deceived, it will be his self-deception in these three areas. When the devil came to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, he deceived her by three things. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knoweth, for God do, uh, doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, number one, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, number two, and it was a tree desired to make one wise. Number three, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it also to her husband uh, with her and he did eat. Now you see that? When the devil came, he laid out three things about the very three things that God, very thing that God said don't mess with. And first thing that that woman does when she looks at that fruit, she says it was good for food. Then she looked at it and she says, it's pleasant to the eyes. And then she said to herself, but it'll, it's, I have a desire to be wise and it'll make me wise. You know, over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible talks about the three things that we are up against, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And those are the same three things that Eve had to be faced and she fell. When the devil will lay out the three deceptions about the wrong view of life, and the very things that we are to stay away from. 
You know why people get to the point where they get into problems in their life that they can never get back? Because fundamentally, they're not happy. They're not complete. They're unsaved. They're unsatisfied. They have been told all of their life the lie and the deception that these three things will make you happy. So from a very early age, they see older kids on the road of doing things that their very parents told them not to do. But in their mind, they think that that's really where success lies. That's where happiness lies. So I go to parties. I go and I smoke. I go and I drink I, uh, because that's what the crowd does. And surely this, is, this will make me happy. This will fulfill me. You want to get a job. You see people driving cars, fast, big, nice cars, and buying houses. You want to because surely you think in your mind that if I got all of those things, I too can be happy. That'll satisfy me. It'll give me that, fill that void in my life. Little do we know that the void in your life is the void of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him the only one that can satisfy. So what do we do? We start going to the parties. We start smoking this. We start smoking that. We start doing this and we start doing that. It doesn't satisfy. It takes us to the next level. So we do this. We do that. It doesn't satisfy. So we take it to the next level. And by the time we've been in life 20 or 30 years, the level of sin is so high that we have put into our world that it now has taken completely over our lives. Now we're at a point where many times we can't make the reverse to get out of it. And it all comes back to these three things. It all comes back to us thinking that the world, some way, shape, or form, will satisfy us. And through the riches and through honor and through life, that getting all of those things, that I'm finally going to be happy. And you know what? By the time you get 50 or 60 years old, You've lived some life now, some waters under the bridge, and you look back and your life is a mess. You've had three or four bad marriages. You've lost your kids. You've lost this. You've lost your health. You've lost almost everything you have. You finally realize that that was never going to satisfy you. You better learn it now. That's my advice to you. And when a man ruins his life, it will be in one or all of these things. Let's, let's look at these three for just a moment. The first thing he says here is riches. That's wealth. You know, it's amazing to me the deception of that happiness and contentment will be based on riches, money, your wealth. I remember, I remember when back in the 70s they started the lottery. I lived in Ohio back then, and uh, Ohio was one of the first states to start the lottery. Back then, the lottery, when you won it, was a million dollars. Nowhere near compared to what it is now. I was working at the Hoover Company. And uh, it was a vacuum cleaner place. And uh, uh, believe it or not, in the very first lottery, the guy that won a million dollars worked at the Hoover Company. And I got to say, I didn't know the guy very well, but I, I knew of him and I had seen him around. And if anybody needed a, a lift in life, it was him. He really didn't have much. Uh, he was a good guy, as far as I could tell, but he won a million dollars. And, you know, uh, and I'll never forget how that changed him. Now, I want to tell you something, and you may not agree with this, but a million dollars is not a lot of money today. It really isn't. It wasn't a whole lot of money back then, but he shows up to work the next day, and, he, he, and good deal. He wants to buy all of his department lunch, which is fine. That was a good thing. He had a suit and tie on. 
I've never saw him wear a suit and tie. He took his coat off and put it over the chair there in the cafeteria, and I was up there, and I, I said to myself, I want to see where a millionaire buys a suit. Kmart. <laughs> he announced that morning that he was quitting his job. He went out and bought a brand-new car. And I tell you, I, we all bumped into him about four or five years later. He didn't have two nickels to rub together. See, he thought that money would make him happy. The more money you have just boosts you up to a higher level of living that you spend $10 here and don't think about it. Now you spend $100 here and don't think about it. And pretty soon, what you thought is going to make you happy won't make you happy. It's gone. It leaves you. You lose it. You know, I'll, I'll, I've had people, I don't know how many times, I would be happy in my life if I just had more money. You know what the problem is? The problem is not the fact that you need more money. The problem is you don't do what's right with the money you have. More money will just exasperate the problem. I don't know what exasperate means, but I heard Joel Wolstein use it this morning, and I think it's good. It's always been amazing to me. The reality is this, 6,000 years of human history shows you that that's not true. Well, all you have to do is turn on the TV at 7 o'clock every, every 6.30 every night and watch Lives of the Rich and Famous. All you got to do is go to the grocery store, and when you check out there, they got all the tabloids, and you see all of the things of who's getting divorced from who, who just committed suicide, who's doing this, who's leaving who, who's hooking up with who now. It's, it's unbelievable. Their lives are a disaster. I mean, all you have to do is to look at the movie stars, the multimillionaires, uh, even Christians, even Christians who are living like kings, you know, and they actually think that everything I have is going to make me happy. And in time, their lives will be a disaster. You see drunkenness and pride, lost kids. You see uh, all of the drug abuse and all of the psychological and, and problems and the psychiatrist and the therapist and the drugs and the recovery treatments. And then the compounding effect, the law of second, and thir- sec- uh, second thermodynamics, their children always turn out worse than they do. Many of them commit suicide. Many of them uh, go through thinking that I found happiness only to have it evaporate through their fingers. A midlife crisis, the psychologist will tell you that a midlife crisis is, I'll tell you what a midlife crisis is. It's a man getting to the middle of his life or a woman getting to the middle of life and realizing without even knowing it that what they've been pursuing is not satisfying them and it leaves them empty. One time in Matthew chapter 19, verse 24, a young man came to the Lord Jesus and he he wanted to get salvation. He wanted to follow the Lord. And the Lord, the Bible says he had great possessions. And Jesus said, go sell all that you got, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Kid couldn't do it. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, riches can obscure your faith. Many, many times. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where you get all that you have, when you can buy all that you want, when you don't have to pray about anything other than should I buy this or not. You know what? There's a real danger of not coming to the place in your life where you have so much you don't have to trust God for anything. 
I remember, I'm probably still out, I haven't seen it for years, but there used to be a magazine put out by one of the Bible colleges called Faith Magazine. I, I, I used to look at it and laugh. I thought to myself, Faith Magazine. Here's a magazine put out by a, a, an organization and put out by the guy at the head organization that hasn't changed a light bulb in 20 years. He never broke, fixed a broken toilet. He never drives anywhere. Somebody always picks him up. He lives on rent-free property, tax-free property. All of his food's paid for. Somebody cooks it for him. He has everything. If something breaks, somebody comes in a maintenance crew and fixes it. What is faith about that? Why, some of you had to sweat out house payments, sweat out car payments. Your baby was sick and you didn't have health care. You understand what faith is. I'll read your magazine. But we get the idea. You'd be surprised how many Christians just hang on to, oh, what a great magazine, Faith Magazine. Because they think that being rich makes it. You know, back in the 1920s when the stock market crashed, the Great Depression, multimillionaires went from riches to rags in 24 hours. And they lost everything. Thousands, I mean thousands, committed suicide. They hung themselves, they shot themselves, they jumped off bridges, they jumped off tall buildings. Because the very thing that they thought and that they trusted in that would bring them happiness got taken from them in less than a day. You know how devastating that is? Now, I'm going to sell you something. For you and me to really be happy, you need something that nobody can take from you. That's what we need. You got $20 million dollars you know what the next thing you're going to worry about? Where do you distribute that? Because every bank only insures your money for, what, $250,000? Why, what happens? You're going to invest it? What if it's a bad investment? You're going to lay awake all night reeling about somebody taking your money. And then when you die, you're going to worry about your kids getting it. And you when you get all that money, let me tell you something, you're going to find you had aunts and uncles and nieces that you never heard of. You and I need something that we have that we can trust in that nobody on this planet can come and take it from us. That's where your happiness is. We need the true riches. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. I always thought that was a great thing by the Holy Spirit of God to put the verse on the true riches in Luke chapter 16, 11. Because that's where the true riches are found. You know, when you get the book, you're, you're, you're rich beyond belief. I know many of you don't see this. I get it. I understand it. I'm hoping maybe you'll leave today a little richer than you came in. When you get the Word of God, you're rich beyond belief. I mean, come on. That Bible's likened to gold. That Bible's likened to silver. That Bible's likened to precious stones. That Bible's likened to, 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 to oil. It's, it's likened to rubies. It's likened to all spices that are very costly. And on top of that, it's likened to steak. It's likened to honey. It's likened to water. It's likened to apples. It's likened to vegetables. It's likened to bread. It's likened to milk. You, when you have the book, you not only live like a king, you eat like a king. Amen. Oh, thank you. I am so glad that two of you got that. I'm telling you. You were in Bible Institute yesterday. You got sirloin steak for lunch. We got into that book, and for two hours, brother, we went down where the whales live. 
I'm a king. You're a king. It's just that my kingdom and your kingdom is not of this world. It's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. But if you got the book and you got God in your life, you're rich beyond belief. And the second thing he says is honor. We'll classify that as wisdom. Everybody wants to be somebody. Parents want their kids to be somebody. I never met a parent in my life where their kid was born and started to grow up. They said, what is your plans for your kid? Oh, I wanted to be a bum. I wanted to be a drug addict. I wanted to be a drunk. They may wind up that way, but everybody wants to be somebody. And all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, all the way back there, as we saw, when the devil wanted to stop God's plan, he offered Eve wisdom and knowledge of the world. And the Bible says their eyes of them were opened, and they knew now good and evil. And ever since that time, man has thought that getting wisdom would make him happy, getting knowledge, learning things, getting wisdom, getting facts, amassing knowledge in his own life. Uh, and, you know, in this life, we look to education uh, to, to reach our goals. And, uh, you know, and, I, and I, I, get a class, I get clobbered all the time of being anti-education. I am not really. Uh, maybe you'll understand my position. But you know what? You know when you went to high school and you spent how many hours studying geometry? How many hours trigonometry? How many hours calculus? Have you ever used it since you got out? No, you do because you're a rocket scientist. (laughs) One guy who I would understand and appreciate it. But the rest of us, we did not. That's why I was smart back then. I just took general math. I had to go to summer school because I flunked that. And then even I was terribly disenchanted with that. The moment I graduated the next year, they came out with calculators. I get it. You go off to Bible college someplace and, uh, you know, the the, the guy's going to teach you to build a church and you think that that, getting that education, that that degree is going to make you better. There is no degree on this planet that's going to make you closer to God. Do you understand that? You go, I'm not fighting it. You go off the Bible card, go ahead. You're going to be taught how to build a church by a guy who never built one. You're going to be taught ministry by a person who hasn't won a soul to Christ probably ever in their life and hasn't been ministering forever. That's like, I'm going to go be taught how to be an Olympic runner. Who's going to teach you? The one-legged man over here. And I get it. But people put too much stock and lose the biblical balance in education. I told you when I started, I do everything from the Bible. And I got the greatest Christian ever lived in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. His physical remarks on the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words, man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. i, I, I got to stop there. Because, you, you notice that? He clearly said, I didn't come to you. I wasn't a good speaker. I, I didn't come to you with enticing words. I, I didn't come to you with a great education and all of the words. He says, I trembled before you when I stood up and preached. You see, we've reversed the process. He didn't need all the acronyms of being a good speaker because he had the power of God in his life. And the power of God will use you no matter where you're at. What we've done today is we've thrown that out and we've educated ourselves, we've fine-tuned ourselves, we've articulated ourselves to the place that we're such good speakers, but we don't have the power of God in our lives. He said that your faith should, know, uh, uh, should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them uh, that are perfect, ye not the wisdom of the world, uh, not of the princes of this world uh, that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world in our glory. You see, God will give you everything that you need to accomplish whatever he's called you to do. And many times, and I get it, I, I, I think you ought to know things, I think you ought to get educated, I'm not against it, but what I'm saying is there has to be a balance and you have to see it from the Bible perspective. Paul's a great example of that. I mean, he's probably the greatest example in the Bible of all for all of us. I mean, you want a perspective in learning the world versus God and the Word of God? Paul's your guy. He was highly educated, yet he had a great balance. He said back there in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I determined not to know anything, same Jesus Christ uh, and, and him crucified. That's not true. That's not true. That, 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 that may be what he said, but that wasn't true. Paul was taught by the greatest scholar of his day. Paul was taught the Old Testament uh, to a degree that he knew everything about it. He's a Jew, yet he's a Roman citizen. That's an incredible study in itself. You ought to watch how he uses both of those. And hey, let me tell you something. You're not in this world. I mean, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. Your citizenship is up in heaven. But at the same time, you are in this world, and if you're smart and learned by Paul, you'll learn how to use one against the other at the time you need it to get what God wants you to do. He did. He calls himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In Galatians 3, 5, he was a Pharisee. Do you understand what it took to be a Pharisee? He's taught and trained by the greatest mind of his day. Acts 22, 3. He goes through it in great detail. And yet he says, for I have determined not to know anything. I love it. For I have determined. He knew everything. He was taught and trained by the world system. But he said, when it came to Christ, I determined in my life that God's word was more important than everything else I learned. That has to be your determination. He was highly educated. He was probably the greatest mind of his day. And I understand that. He needed all that for what God called him to do. But he never lost his perspective. And when it came to dealing with people, when it came to building churches, he determined in himself 
that he knew nothing except Christ and his death on the cross. Paul's biblical position on his education compared to what he got from God was found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, when he says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, nor having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but which is through the faith of Christ, and righteousness, which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering. There's the true riches right there. There's the balance in His life. He counted everything that He had learned compared to the Word of God as dung. And he said, the real, fella, the real stock of, of a Christian is simply three things. To know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Those are the three things that we don't want. Now, I, again, here's what I did in my life. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just telling you what I did. I saw this many, many years ago. I've never been to Bible college. Never a day in my life. Uh, I believe what I've always believed that the New Testament local church is God programmed to teach uh, me the Bible. It taught me the Bible, and I'm doing the same thing and teaching you the Bible. That's just what we do. That, I believe that. I told you when we started, I'd base what I do on the Bible. I'm, that's just where I'm at. But I want to tell you something. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much education you got. I don't care what you do in life or how far you go. I could sit down with you and probably on a 90% scale talk with you on an educated level about anything you want to talk about. You want to talk about the solar system? You want to talk about the planets? You want to talk about existentialism? You want to talk about pragmatism? You want to talk about heterosism? You want to talk about uh, uh, the socialism? You want to talk about uh, fundamentalism? You want to talk about liberalism? You want to talk about all the ologies of man? I'm right there with you. Here's what I did. I knew and understood what Paul was talking about. And I never, I never allowed anything in my life after I got saved till I got that book down. I spent the first 10, 12 years of my life devouring that book and then really devouring it, but with a little twist. I wanted to make sure in my life that nothing else crept in. I wanted God to have 10, 12 years of my life where nothing came in, that everything was about that book, that he taught me everything that I needed to believe. And then once I got to that point where I was solid in that book, that nothing, no one on any planet in this universe was going to pull me off of, I started reading every book that was out there. I started reading everything about psychiatry. I started to read everything about psychology. I started to read everything about science. I digested everything on evolution. I digested everything I could find on anything that had to do with anything. I read everything that I could get my hands on. I devoured and began to read book after book after book. I'd go up to uh, the, uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, when we used to have uh, staff retreats up there. I'd go over to the bookstore over the used bookstore on the campus, and I would buy 20 or 30 books that had to deal with all subjects, chemistry, biology. I would deal with everything in history. I would read it all. And the difference was I wanted to educate myself, but I wanted to educate myself on my terms. I didn't want the world educating me on their terms. So what I did first was get that book down where nobody could ever pull me off of that book. 
nothing, no one argument, nothing nobody could say. It would just be a joke compared to what God had showed me. And then I digested everything I could. But the difference was, everything else I was now reading, I didn't run around the book, I ran it through the book. And God showed me the truth and the fallacy of everything I was reading. And God gave me the understanding and the wisdom to see that the Bible is the only, only aspect. It is the only thing that, that is true. To know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. Pastors today, when they look for a pastor, they don't care about what he knows about the Bible. The pulpit committee, they want to know where he went to school. They want to know the guy with the most degrees that wins out. Do you have a, do you have a BA? Do you have an MA? Or do you have a PhD? I mean, that's how they look at it. A BA, a bunch of applesauce. MA, more applesauce. PhD, piled higher and deeper applesauce. That's, that's all they look at. Everybody wants a doctor. And I get it. We live in a Laodicean church age that make God sick. We got more doctors running around Christianity than you could ever. Back in my day, it was the biggest thing in the world for a preacher to get an honorary doctorate degree, to be called doctor. I mean, there were Bible colleges that if you would send a bunch of students down there and keep their little game going, after about 200, 300 students, four, five, six, seven years, then they would call you down to graduation and have you speak. You'd put on that robe. You'd wear that hat. You'd have that mantle. Oh, you looked educated. And you'd stand up there and you'd speak to that class and then they would come out and they would reward you an honorary doctor degree. Doctor of theology. Oh, and you'd go home and your church was so proud. We have a doctor in the house. I'm telling you, I watched it. I saw it. There's a church in this town that wanted to link up with a, and get a accreditation with a, a, a college so they could bring it into their, uh, uh, their, their Bible training thing that every pastor on that staff could become a doctor. Like, you're, you're better now if you're a doctor. You're closer to God if you're a doctor. I understand Jesus Christ is a great physician, but I don't think that's what he was talking about. I had an idiot guy one time. He was a Christian psychologist. Boy, that isn't an oxymoron. And he was an oxymoron, too. And we went out to lunch one time. Now, he was a doctor. He was a doctor in whatever he was a doctor in, but it had to do with psychology. Now, he, he, he didn't even, he worked, for, he worked for a company. He didn't even have an office. He wasn't seeing patients. And we go to lunch one day. And I'm standing there, and the way he wants to see this, and, and I, we start to go over, and he goes back. To the deal, and I'm standing from here to the. He goes back and he says, "My name is Doctor So and So. If I have any phone calls, would you bring them to my table?" I'm thinking, "Is your wife going to call you? You work at a plant." See, he wanted that honor. He wanted him to say, "There's a doctor over there. If I get any calls, you call Doctor. He's right over here. He just told me this is." I'm thinking to myself, "I'll tell you what." This is stupid. You know what he told me one time? We had a disagreement about a lot of things, obviously. And, and what he told me one time, he says, Bobby says, I believe the Bible's truth, but I just don't believe the Bible's all truth. In other words, there's other truth out there that's not found in the Bible, i.e., his psychology. I want to tell you something. There is no truth outside the Word of God.
giving me a doctor degree would be like putting whipped cream on an onion. I've seen many a young kid that started a church and maybe he didn't do well because he didn't know exactly what he was doing, but he could have made it. But after three or four or five years, he decides that he's going to give up his church and he's going to go back to school to get more education to be a better pastor. You'll never be a better pastor by going back to school. School don't make you better anything. You know what makes you good? Getting in there and doing it. Getting in there and doing it. You can go to basic training, you can go to AIT, you can take every school they got, jump school, AAT, demolition school, whatever you want, and you can have all those certificates. You'll not be a real soldier until the first bullet starts zinging over your head and you've got to act it out what you've got to do. You'll throw your, you put the greatest battle, the old saying is, put the greatest battle plan together, here's what we're going to do. And the moment that ramp goes down and the bullet's flying, you throw the plan away because you've got to do what you've got to do. Experience. You know what you guys and gals are getting here that's invaluable to you? I know you probably don't see it, but you know what you're getting? You're getting experience. You're getting a better education than any pastor ever got in any seminary or Bible college anywhere. They get book learning by guys who don't even understand it. You, you get thrown to the wolves. You have to get in there and figure it out for yourself. You have to get in there and open that Bible. You're doing it, and God will take that, and God will use that, and God will educate you through that. That's the difference between God's people who really build the tower and they're always on ground level. It's just that simple. Then he says, through life. That'll be good health. Man today is increasingly preoccupied with living a long life. Not only does he want to be happy with riches, not only does he want to be somebody with honor, but he wants to live forever. I mean, uh, Psalms 90 says 9 and 10 to 3 score and 10, 70 years, and that's God's counting. If you get more than that, he tells you, man, it's going to be blood, sweat, and tears, man. We talk about it all the time. You watch it on TV. You see it on the billboard. Quality of life. My doctor tells me all the time, well, I want you to have a quality of life. I said, I do. We used to have fitness centers. We used to have gymnasiums. Now they're called wellness centers. We got a great controversy across America on, on the health care controversy. Obamacare. Health care costs are going through the roof. It's a money-making deal, man. And I got to tell you, I agree. Medicine today is absolutely incredible. You know, I have been told this. I'm looking forward to this. I think it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. When I was growing up, when you were 60, 70 years old, you were an old man. Now I tell my doctor, he says, how old are you? And I says, I'm 67. He says, oh, you're still a young guy. You know what we've done? We've pushed old age back. I guess now you're not old till you're 90. I, I like that. I'm not, I'm not fighting that. But I can't believe what they can do. Can you imagine that they can take a heart out of one person and put it in another? Now, you know that that's not like getting an erector set. That takes some, you realize all the stuff you've got to hook up? 
You realize that you just don't have, you know, like a plumber, you know, plumber. You just don't hook the pipe together and solder them and see you later. Man, you, can you imagine what it must be to do a heart transplant? I'm telling you. Now, I'll, I'll tell you a little joke. I remember the first heart transplant that took place. I was at a church. I was just a staff guy. I was a nobody. Hadn't got my honor yet. <laughs> the first heart trans took place. I think it was in South Africa. They called a meeting of all the deacons. And we now had to face this dilemma. And I, I, I about died. I, I can't believe we're having this conversation. You know what the conversation was? The conversation was, how do we deal with the fact, now that we're doing heart transplants, what if the man who was saved and got a heart transplant, got the heart of an unshaved man. <laughs> I got a better one. They do heart valves with pigs. Most men are pigs anyhow. Amen, ladies? Are you a bigger pig after you get the heart valve from the pig? I couldn't believe they were having this conversation. What are we going to do theologically wise now that, that we can do a heart transplant? What if a saved man, they take his heart out and put the heart in of an unsaved man? Is he still saved? I couldn't believe it. I thought it was back in the dark ages when the Roman Catholic Church had the Holy Eucharist. It was, the, was, it was eternal life and they had to deal with the theology. What happens if a rat breaks in and eats the Holy Eucharist? Is he got eternal life forever? I couldn't believe we were having that conversation. That's where it was at. Heart transplant. I'll tell you. How about this? Kidney transplants. I mean, knee transplants. I mean, elbows, hips. I mean, you realize that they just peel you like a banana, pull out your hip and put in another one? It's just like, you know, when your car runs dead and you drive in up there, you know, and they open the hood and they pull out this section and put another one, now it's fine. That's complicated. There's guys who invest their whole life, but it's all to give you quality of life. I'm not fighting it. I'm really not. You're, you're looking at a guy that a year ago, I couldn't walk. I saw my x-rays with all the bolts and screws in it and with the fusion that he made and all the things that he did. Six or seven hours doing my back. I get it. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Well, we've even come so far now that we, we have the ability through medicine to change men into women and women into men. Man, baby, we've come a long way. And all to make us happy. I'm not happy being a man because I'm really a woman. I'm not happy being a woman because I'm really a man. God made a mistake. When you went down the assembly line, you went the wrong way. We want, we want to be happy, and we think that if we have health and what we view as health, you know right now as I'm speaking, I looked at this the other day. I keep tabs on it because I may want to go here. They have a place out in Colorado where they have a cryo chamber that if you die of some disease right now that there's no cure for, They'll fast freeze you, put you in there, and then 20, 30 years from now, when they get a cure for it, they'll thaw you out like a TV dinner and, and fix you. <laughs> Do you believe that? It's incredible. They wrap you in tin foil like a piece of chicken. 
freeze fry you and you're in there, man. And I, I mean, and they pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for that. Yet the Bible says that life and the quality of life in this life, not always going to be good things that come our way. The quality of life that we have, a long life with God, uh, and how long we live is giving to us uh, to the purpose that God has given us. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, He saved us according to His purpose, not our purpose. And don't ever want to forget, well, and we forget this, this life is temporary. You talk about long-term and short-term. You've got to look ahead to the next one. That's eternal. God asked me one time, and he was, <laughs> he was very philosophical. And he says, just like this, he says, may I ask you a question? And I said, sure. He said, should I be preparing to live, or should I be preparing, preparing to die? That was a great philosophical question. I said, look, Plato. You'll never be prepared to live until you are first prepared to die. You've got to have something nobody can take from you. You know, in a general sense, long life comes from loving God in the book and doing the work that God uh, has called you and me to do. And in most cases, you'll have a long, productive life. I, I, look, at, I look at Dr. Ruckman, 96 years old. He was still playing ice hockey when he was 80. He was a goalie. Two weeks before, or two weeks before he had his fall, whatever, he's out there with his cane, preached, street preaching, holding up, telling people how to get to heaven. He lived his whole life. He had a long life. Mel Sabaka had a long life. But in some cases, now get this, that's the general rule, but in some cases, if God allows you and me the privilege of going home early so he can get more honor and glory out of our death than he can our life, praise the Lord. And I want to tell you something. That's a hard concept for God's people to get today. You know why? Because heaven's not real to us. That's why. You see, God's purpose is okay in my life as long as it's what I want. You know what? I'm going to tell you something, and I mean this. If I, if I had a terminal disease or I had some disability disease that I was born with that, that the statistics say that, you know, I probably won't live past 40 or maybe 50, that most people die. And I see it all the time, and I'm sure you do too. You know what I'd do? And I'm telling you the truth. I'd get in that book. I'd get into ministry. And I'd make myself so valuable to God that he looked down over the banners of heaven and said, I got to give that guy an extension. He's too valuable. He's doing something nobody else is doing. I, I need him to stay around a little longer and tack on some more time. I need him. You know, there's a, and I know you look at that and you think that's goofy. I'm going to tell you something. That's exactly the way, if, if, you're, if you're not, inva God saved you for a purpose. If you're not invaluable to him, and that's what every Christian ought to do. Your goal every morning when you get up should be to make yourself absolutely unreplaceable invaluable to God. Now, I know that God can replace any of us in 10 seconds or less, but in my mind, I want him to say, I need that gal, and I need that guy. And if you don't believe that, you better go over to Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, because the Bible says over there that God is looking for a few good men. He's looking for somebody to stand in the gap, make up the hedge. And when he finds somebody, making yourself invaluable, 
No, 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 not us. Uh-uh. You kidding me? We get mad at God. We blame God. We whine about our problems. We, we say, God, why me? And our answer is, why not you? Why not me? I mean, a uh, guy told me one time he was going through a terrible suffering time. And I said, I'm really sorry. He says, I'm not. He says, you know what? My Lord suffered for me on the cross, and this is just a little taste of what he must have went through. Makes me appreciate what he did for me more. That's a tough place to get to. But that's not New Testament Christianity. We get mad at God. We blame God. We quit going to church. We dump the Bible. We want to walk around and whine all the time about how we feel and how we this and that. I'm going to tell you something. Quality of life doesn't always come because you're always healthy and you get to do everything. And the Bible says, by humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, I gave it to you last week. Here are the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's the whole duty of man. And God will give you everything that you need. Now look at verse 5. Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that doeth keep his soul shall be far from them. Now, you find that word froward a lot in the Bible, especially in Proverbs. Froward means perverse. It means not willing to yield or comply with what's required of somebody. It means to be disobedient. Someone who is completely out of control of any discipline or instruction in life uh, and that would be most of God's people. Now, thorns in the Bible, thorns are connected with man's sin. First time you find it in the Bible is Genesis 3.18. And it's a direct result of the curse through Adam's sin. And the Bible says in verse 18, that thorns and thistles shall be, uh, uh, bring forth unto thee. And in the Bible, it'll always be a reference to man's sin when you find it. Uh, Proverbs 15, 19 says, A slothful man is like a hedge of thorns. Uh, Joshua chapter 23, verse 13 says, uh, Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes. See, it's a type of sin. Thorns will stop you. Anybody who ever been out hunting and you start going through the brush and you hit some of them big old spike thorns? I'll tell you what, man, they will stop you. They will stop you in your tracks. Some of those suckers are that long and they're like a, like a dagger. I ran one into my elbow one time when I was out hunting and turned around. It was a big old spike tree there. Put that thing right into that crazy part where you go crazy. I ruined the deer hunting for anybody within 10 miles around. I'll tell you what, I was doing a Chickawa war dance, believe me. Thorns in your eyes. See that thing? What you look at. That'll stop you. Thorns, if you try to go through it, it'll get you all, all tangled up. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, No man that warth and tangle himself with the affairs of the flight, that he may please him that would chose him to be a soldier. The key word there is entangle. That's what thorns do. They entangle you in your forward progress, and then they stop you. Can't go forward. In the military, if you want to stop, you want to stop a, an infantry attack, just put about five layers of Constantino wire and bob wire uh, around the perimeter and have a good supportive base of fire. You'll kill them. They'll be hanging on the wire like chickens on Thanksgiving Day. They can't get past it. 
I've, the, the Japanese on Guadalcanal, they just hung up on that wire. They couldn't get past the wire. They got caught in the wire, and they just slaughtered them. You know why? The snares, the thorns, stopped their forward progress. And that's what sin will do for all of us. Um, of course, the list is endless of God's people that just get, get caught up in the, the thorn bushes of life. And boy, they don't go anywhere. Now he talks about snares. And that's the trap that the devil will lay out for you and for me that we'll fall into. And you want to study it, look at Proverbs chapter 7, verse 23, Proverbs 18, 7, uh, 20, verse 25, 29, verse 6, 29, 25, Isaiah 24, 17, 29, 21, uh, other places, Jeremiah 48, 43, 50, verse 24, over and over again. I think, if I remember right, 71 times in the Old Testament alone, all of them are dealing doctrinally with the Antichrist, setting up the snares for the nation of Israel in the tribulation period. But in a practical sense, for you and for me, it's a picture of what you and I go through. See, here's how it works. Bible tells us very clear that this world is in darkness. Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, that you have children of the day, children of the light, that'd be you, children of the night, children of, uh, of the darkness, that's unsaved people. And we as, un, we as saved people, we have to walk in this world that is in darkness. We do. And everywhere we go, the, we're, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. The world is total darkness to us. So, you know, in that darkness, the devil will put out his snares. And this is how every, every child of God who ever got a long way from God got out of fellowship with God. This is how it happened. They're in darkness, trying to walk through the darkness. The devil sees them coming. He lays out the traps and the snares, and they step right into them. And they get snagged. They walk right into the thorn bush, and they get stopped. This trap will trap you, it'll hold you, and it'll enable you from going forward. Now, that's a fact. Now, here's the good news. The Bible says that the Word of God is light. Psalms 119, verse 105, it is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. In fact, if you want to go through the Bible and look at the Bible, the Bible is five basic lamps or lights. This is a good devotion if you ever want to use it. The Bible, first of all, was a reading light. When you start reading the Bible, you never figure it out till the Holy Spirit of God will illuminate what you're reading. And the Holy Spirit of God will turn the lights on, so to speak, and show you what He wants you to see. The Bible is likened to a heat lamp. It not only gives light, but it gives heat. The world will be very cold and indifferent to you. Sometimes people will be cold and indifferent to you. Sometimes your friend will be cold and indifferent to you. Sometimes life in general will just be very cold and different. And you don't like that. I don't like that. You want to get warmed up? Get warmed up with the Holy Spirit of God inside you. The Word of God's a nightlight. And uh, little kids, uh, what we're supposed to be, uh, what's the last thing they say when you kiss them to go to bed and have their devotions and you start to close the door and they'll say, leave the light on. We like to sleep with a little night light. That kind of breaks up the darkness. I go to sleep every night with my night light right here. It's a traveler's light. We journey through life. We go where God wants us to go. It's a light that lights the travel way that we go. And it's a safety lamp. It shows us where the snares are. The Bible says that it's a light that shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. It illuminates 
the night and showing me all the, all the snares so I can sidestep them through the principles. I got to go through my journey in life. They're all over the place. He's laid landmines and snares all over me. I just turn it on. Oh, I like this one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's what you do. It illuminates everywhere you go. The U.S. military have developed some of the most sophisticated night vision equipment that you could ever imagine. I mean, every soldier gets them. You see them on their helmets, the little clips up there. They put it on there. When they're out there, they put that thing down and turn it on. It turns total darkness into total daylight. It got to be such a deal that, that uh, uh, they come up with a motto that we own the night. And I want to tell you something. As a child of God, through the principles of the Word of God, you own the night. You ought to be able to see everything that's out there. First Thessalonians 5, 5 says that we're children of the light and the day. In Psalms 139, the whole chapter basically were 1 through 24. What a great chapter on our relationship with Christ. 139 verse 12 says, Yea, the darkness hindereth, hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. You know, you probably never thought about this. I think about things like this a lot. This is an amazing thing. We talk about death and dying. You realize there was never any death in the presence of the Lord Jesus? If somebody were dead when he showed up, they came back to life. Lazarus did. The woman with her boy there on the way to the funeral. The little 12-year-old girl. There was never death, could never stand in his presence. Whenever the Lord showed up, death flee, and a person came back to life. And I want to tell you something. It's the same way with light and darkness. When he's light, and you get that light inside you through the principles of the Word of God, the darkness will always flee from you. The darkness, just like death, will never stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ inside of you. That's a great truth. And that will illuminate and show you everything you need to see and everything you need to understand. When the book shows up, in our dark world, the darkness can't comprehend it, and it flees. There's no darkness in the presence of God. The light of God is by the principles. And I'll tell you something else I've noticed. I, I just think of things like this. we got lights on in here. i got lights on in my house. A couple of weeks ago, I put a shirt on. And when I was in my house, it looked black. But when I walked out on the front porch to take the dog out, it was blue. One time I went out and I thought I had two black socks on. One was blue and one was black. In the house, they looked like they were black. But when you get out in the sunlight, it showed you the difference. My point is simply this. The light of this world will always show you things off color that make you think it's real. But if you want to get the real true color, you've got to get the sunlight. It'll always show you the true color of things. The world will color it for you. I mean, uh, lights, man-made lights, they, they project different things. I got, this has nothing to do with my mess, but I've got to tell you the story. 
when I take my dogs out at night, I, 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 I get a light, and I got a headlight so I don't have to mess with them. And I've had all kinds of headlights. I bought a headlight a couple of weeks ago, a couple of spring. And it goes on your head, and it's a different light than I've ever had before. And I'll tell you why. I don't know what the difference is. But when you turn a light on and you stand in the backyard, you see the little eyes of 100,000 spiders in your yard. I know. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding you. I turned it off, put my other light on, nothing. Turn this light on, little eyes. I mean, all, every, place, every place you look, little eyes looking at you. And, and they're not looking up or around. They're looking at me. And those little spiders, are, and, the, and the bigger the eyes, the bigger the spider. I walked over. There was, a, there, was a, there was a big pair of eyes up there in the back, and I walked up, and I looked down. There was a big wolf spider. I mean, that sucker was that big. But I look around, man, there's eyes everywhere looking at me. I'm thinking to myself, man, if I come out here to take the dogs out, I never come back in the house, you're going to know what happened. The spiders got me. <laughs> now, that has nothing to do. I wanted to tell that story for six, seven months now. I never had a place to tell it. Since we're talking about true light, I may have just found the headlamp that will always identify the spiders for you. <laughs> Sunlight is the only true light. The world will color everything in its own perspective to give you a false you or a false color. But you want to see what the true color is, take it out and look at it in sunlight. You want to see how the world will color things for you? You want to see the true color of what it is? Take it out in the light of the Word of God. It will always give you the true color. Verse 5 says, He that keepeth his soul shall be far from them. You see, the snares and the thorns and the pits falls are all illuminated by the light of God's Word. Then you hide behind the principles and you stay close to God. You, you realize how, how, how much simpler could it get in the Christian life? It's not complicated. It's not hard. It takes no degree to get. It takes no higher learning to get. It's just simply God in this dark world that we live in has given us the book that illuminates the path to see the snares and the pitfalls and the thorns. God's simple plan to stay close to God and to keep that fellowship. 1 John 1, 7 says, For that fellowship will only be as we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. You see, you've got to have the same light that He has. Most Christians come to God trying to get His light with the false light of the world. And it'll never work. The key to the victorious Christian life, ladies and gentlemen, is the principles. Building your high tower building your walls up that nobody can ever get to you because you live above the circumstances and you come to the point in your life where you can see everything 360 around you. You see what's coming. And it come, you see it long before it gets there and you have the principles to hide behind. Everything you need to live the victorious Christian life is in that book. This is why I said when I started my sermon like I did so many years ago at that, at that college, the Bible's the only truth in life. Everything else there that you think is going to make you happy, your riches, your honor, your long longevity of life and living a long life to enjoy it all are going to leave you empty at the end of life. 6,000 years of man's history has never proven me wrong. And I'm telling you right now, Solomon was right. You want to hear the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God and keep His commandments for it is the whole duty of man. 
Well, we'll hold up there. Next week, we will be into verse 6, and we'll